Welcome to Raising a Child with Hearing Loss podcast with host Gretchen Fors. Gretchen is a mother of five children, three of whom have hard of hearing. Listen as Gretchen interviews other hearing mamas and maybe an occasional dad or child too. Other guests will include people who help children who are deaf or hard of hearing. Thrive, including audiologists, speech therapists, teachers of the deaf, doctors, and other professionals. Due to the nature of this subject, some of the names and identifying features have been changed to protect their identities but the voices and the stories are their own. This podcast is intended for families to share their own personal journeys without judgment. Please respect and honor each family's choices. All information presented is educational and should not be misconstrued as personal medical advice. Good morning, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me today. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself to my audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Good morning, Gretchen. My name is Brian Darcy. I'm the administrator for the Idaho Bureau of Educational Services for the Deaf and the Blind. I've been the administrator for 13 years, and I've been in deaf education or involved in some sort of deaf services most of my adult life. I worked right out of college with individuals with chronic mental illness who were also deaf as a case manager, and uh, we developed a program in South Dakota. And... uh, I learned really how deaf services were lacking and wanted to do more. And so I kind of went went about and got my deaf ed degree that way and went into rehab counseling with the deafness emphasis out of Oregon and ended up in Boise, Idaho doing that work. Okay. And then from Boise, Idaho doing that work, where are you now? I currently live in Gooding, Idaho. And I moved here because when I got the job as administrator, that's where our headquarters are for the IESDB. I'll just shorten it to that rather than say the whole long-term title. And like I said, that was about 13 years ago. Prior to that, I worked in transition for IESDB, working with the really 18 to 26-year-olds who were looking to set the world on fire with with lots of, of work skills and and need a little direction doing that. Great. Okay. And so maybe you can explain, I've had the opportunity to tour the school, but maybe you can explain to those who haven't or or even, a, a, and most states have a school for the deaf, kind of maybe you should start with that. Do most schools have a state for the deaf? And then tell, you know, sell us on why your child should probably attend one of those, because I think that that's sometimes not an option that gets brought up for some of these parents. Well, and 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 let me let me preface it with with how the Idaho Bureau of Educational Services for Deaf and Blind, or IESDB again for short, is set up. We're set up as a state entity. We're not a, a state agency anymore. We were under the State Board of Education, and in 2009 they they revamped us. And in in our statute that made us exist, it says that we will provide a continuum of services across the state for students who are deaf, hard of hearing, blind, or low vision. And that continuum really isn't dependent on the severity of a student's hearing ability or, or hearing loss. It's really based on the level of need of intervention of, of services. So we have an outreach department that goes into the homes as as early as we can identify kids because we know that regardless of method of of language, that development is what's most important. And so we go in and work with parents 
and and learn, you know, uh, help them to learn how to address that with their children. And again, this is on both the deaf and the blind side. So that continuum is really important. We do operate a direct instruction program. And one of the ways we do that is through our campus program that is located in Gooding. We actually have existed in Gooding since 1910, or actually the building started in 1908, but we were in the state of Idaho since 1906. We actually existed in an old schoolhouse where the West Wing of the state capitol is before it burnt. <laughs> um, so it's a fascinating history, but what came about was that the governor at the time, Governor Gooding, was starting up his own town and donated land for a school to be built. And so we've been on this property since since back then. Almost every state has a school. They all provide services differently. Almost every state has a school for the deaf, and some have a school for the deaf and the blind. We're about one of 12 what we call dual schools serving both populations in the United States. And then some states provide different types of services. Wyoming, for example, in Oregon, Wyoming has just totally outreach, where Oregon has a school for the deaf, but not a school for the blind. So everybody kind of does it differently. So because of our rurality, we have not had the ability to really have various schools set up in in big towns because we really don't have them. We're considered not only a, a rural state, we're almost considered what they call a frontier state. And basically in in my my vernacular, it means we got more cows than people. And so that's that's why we're set up the way we are. The location of Gooding has been argued back and forth. Is that the best place to have a school? There's arguments all the way around. All I know is right now in today's day and age in, in Idaho, you'd be hard pressed to find or build a campus like what we in Gooding anywhere in, in the state of Idaho because of, of location and, and property. But on the other hand, for any kid attending the school, the ISDB school, on campus here, they don't have to travel any longer than three and a half hours from wherever they live in the state. We have kids in Coeur d'Alene and further north. They hop a plane in Spokane, fly down. It's an hour flight. It's an hour and a half drive from Spokane, or excuse me, from Boise. And uh, they're at school. And that happens every week and at no cost to, to parents. Yeah, maybe that's something you explained to you. You have school on campus Monday through Thursday, which is actually very typical of rural schools in Idaho, too. And so the kids come down Sunday night and then they leave Thursday after school. If they're not day students. That's correct. So we if 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 students live within the, a range of the Magic Valley, we have a daily bus system that that uh, like every other school district out there where we pick up kids at, at bus stops and, and bring them in if they live within the Magic Valley. And if they live outside of the Magic Valley, then we have a residential component. And we are a Monday through Thursday school, and it's really linked to the local public schools. Many of our kids attend class on campus at ISDB, and 
we obviously, because we're a small school, we can't offer, we don't have a ton of instructors. So for those items, like if a kid is a calculus kid, we don't have a math teacher that teaches calculus or calculus class per se. So we tie in with the Gooding Public School and kids go over to the Gooding Public School with an interpreter and we provide the interpreters and they take a calculus class there. So that's, that's, it's, it's kind of a nice cooperation we've have there. And, and honestly, that's part of the reason why, why I'm in the business. I went to school at Gooding High School. I had a lot of friends who were deaf or hard of hearing. I learned sign language at an early age. Also, my parents were involved in the, in the business, but that having having deaf friends and having peers who were deaf or hard of hearing really didn't mean anything to me. They're really good friends, and so when I grew up, I I, I never realized I had an actual skill uh, and and knowledge base until I again I got out in the real world and started seeing that that not everybody had the ability that I have. Yes, you are definitely uniquely qualified. In oh, oh boy. <laughs> because you grew up there, you have understand a lot of that culture that, you know, Gooding has a strong history of helping the deaf community and then adding the blind component too. So I know that you've been a pillar in that community for a long time and your family for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, and, and, and I came about it from the blind side. I have a sister who's blind. And uh, my dad was in blind education as, as well as my mom. So it was kind of interesting. And I, and just like any other kid, I didn't want to follow in my dad's footsteps. So I didn't get into blind ed. I got into deaf ed, but uh, I guess I did follow my dad somewhat because he was also superintendent here for several years. That's true too. Okay. So if you have like the podcast audience is mostly parents of kids who have hearing loss mm-hmm. and if you could tell them that why sending their child, I know sometimes it's hard to talk a parent into sending their child away from home for four days a week, but maybe you could share why that the benefits you see of that, because I know I've met some of the high school students who are there and they just love it. They just thrive and it's a great environment for them. But I know as a parent, sometimes it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to put you on a bus or send you, you know, three and a half hours away. But what do you see the benefits are for those kids who do decide to come to the school there in Gooding? So let me preface it by just being a parent is hard. It's very difficult. And if you have a, a parent or if you have a child with with hearing loss or any other type of, of disabling condition or, or perceived disabling condition, that makes it even more difficult. And, and you become the expert on your, the trouble with becoming the expert on your child, if you haven't had the training or haven't had the guidance is, is that, you know, what's best for your child, you know, your child, but on the other hand, that may be the first deaf person you've ever met in your life or the first child person with a hearing loss you've ever met with your life. And so you really have to rely on gathering information and educating yourself on what that is. Um, and then whenever we talk about the either sense sensory loss, we're talking about really strong limitations to the access to the world around them. For our kids who are deaf or hard of hearing, it's really a limitation of, of language, whether they are learning sign language or 
using uh, you know auditory means to to gather language because it's it's regardless of the amplification it doesn't work like with glasses where it just clears everything up it's still you still have to get clarification you kids still have to learn how to develop contextual learning and and again the language and tying it to experiences is is what's most important regardless so for many of our kids because again we are our, our rural almost frontier state in many of our situations many of our kids are the only kids in their school or possibly their town with a hearing loss and you know there's always that that uh, especially when they get into middle school and and high school of that uh, identification how do you identify yourself and how do you who do you identify yourself with and and sometimes we see a lot of our kids that that have a tendency to isolate because they don't necessarily see or hear everything that's going on around them or have those experiences and so for for campus we if if a child specifically has sign language background you know, we have an entire staff that signs from the lunch lady to maintenance staff to all of our teachers and administration can communicate with our kids in sign, with sign language. So the other thing is, is kids wearing hearing aids or cochlear implants. We have a lot of them here too. And so there's a lot of identification with other kids for that reason. The other thing too is our, our our students who are deaf have a tendency to learn differently. They are very visual. They are they have to have language again tied to experiences. And so we have trained professionals and teachers who have gone through master's level training to learn how to teach deaf kids. And again, I use the word deaf as in cultural deaf. ASL users, as well as students with a hearing loss. And, and like I said before, the, the, the amount of intervention really doesn't depend on the level of the kid's hearing. I've seen completely deaf kids who go through an interpreter, use ASL, and um, do just perfectly fine in school. They're on 504s and, and, and kicking butt and have lots of friends, and there's no difficulties. But I've also seen kids with very minimal hearing loss that have a hard time understanding contextual or ambient language, just they don't process it well, or they self-isolate. And some of those kids come to campus because they fit in a little bit better here too. So, you know, I guess I've I've done a few interviews and the way that I, I, I best describe what we have is we are really kind of the Hogwarts of Idaho. Where we bring kids in from all over, and 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 they really find their niche here. I like that description because it did seem pretty magical when we were there last. <laughs> and I think the counselor you had, like when we were talking with her at the program, she was starting. She seemed just like an amazing fit for Gooding too, right? She has a deaf and a blind background in education, and she had set up this amazing program and. I could see how she was going to be a huge asset to the school for sure. So, yeah. True. And, and, you know, that's, that's just one of the neat things that we have here is, is everybody kind of gets it. 
And many of our instructors are deaf or hard of hearing themselves. And so a lot of them have that shared experience of growing up with a hearing loss. As we know from statistics that, you know, only less than 10% of kids who are born deaf are born to deaf parents. So the other 90% are born to hearing parents. And so, you know, 90, the chances are 90% of the students here aren't coming from, from deaf families and, and therefore have shared experiences that way too. Yes. And that would be my family. That's the category we fit in. And my girls have loved coming to summer, your work study program. My oldest has participated in work study. She's participated in the camp and had really good experiences in both of those. And actually now our third daughter is old enough to come to summer camp. She was so excited to get the flyer in the mail that she's now old enough to come to camp this summer. So now, which, which camp? Now, we run a couple of camps. That's, she's, well, I mean, she's not old enough to the work study, so she's just in so the... Sawtooth. Yeah, Sawtooth, yeah, the yeah. middle school camp. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things we do, too. And 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 that's part of, of, of what we have established um, in, in, in my background and my history. Again, I'm... I, and I tell the legislature this every year. I truly believe that, that, that my job is to help create taxpayers. And... And I think that's our job in education. And, and what that really means is that we help students achieve their potential or get have the ability to achieve to the potential. And we do that a variety of ways. And it starts early. It starts from, from, from birth. And we know that as parents, right? And as kids get older, you know, it's wanting to give them the exposure to, to work. And uh, I, I, again, come from, from a, a, a transition background. And at one time I worked for vocational rehabilitation. And as a VR counselor, I had, I can't tell you how many deaf adults I had that were 23, 24 years old that came in looking for their first job. And literally it was their first job. They had nothing to put on a resume. They'd never been asked or tried to get a summer job. They had nothing to put on as previous work experience. And so that's one of the things that we've done. And, and Paula Mason, my director of outreach, was instrumental in, in doing this. We, we built this, we call it Ready, Set, Go to Work camp. And it's a cooperation with vocational rehabilitation. And it does just what you were talking about. It gets our kids, the, it develops the skills that they, they need to, to move forward in the work world. We, we don't beat around the bush for our kids in order to qualify, you've got to have some sort of hearing loss. You got to qualify for services. And what we do too, is we sit down, we have bring in audiologists to sit down with them and discuss with them what that audiology testing means and really help them understand what having hearing loss means and then how to describe that to a potential employer or others around you. And for, for some of our kids that are hearing loss with, with just hearing loss, and it's really difficult for, for that middle school, high school kids is when they don't hear something or don't understand something completely, teaching them to speak up and and asking them to repeat and say, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Or can you repeat that again? And if that still doesn't work, then finding other ways to clarify the message. And that self-advocacy and self, self-esteem self is also inherent in what we do in that that camp. So that's, that's one of our camps. And then the other camp you're talking about is our Sawtooth camp, which is an enrichment camp. It's a chance for kids with hearing loss to get together and uh, and have a real summer camp and uh, 
and 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 then you know they they get the typical summer experience, but then they also were working on developing those the language ties to that to to be able to to tie in and 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 it builds. We see kids that come in as wallflowers that first day of camp, and then they leave, and and it's 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 you know that typical summer camp experience of this isn't the kid I dropped off at camp. So I'm glad, glad you get a chance to, to experience that. And we do the same thing on the blind side too. We, we offer both camps. So that, it's another op- opportunity we offer. They're really great. Okay. And just in closing, I want you to tell about the food truck. Cause I've also had the opportunity <laughs> to be able to have lunch with the food truck. And I think it's been such a great way to actually, like you were talking about, help people build meaningful work skills and then to provide an opportunity for work in a way that is very purposeful and meaning for the, for the students that you help with that. So I thought you tell us about that. Sure. So what, what you're talking about is tied into our ILS program, our independent living skills program. And that's something we offer on campus and it's offered to any kid that is graduating with an IEP really, you know, because under, under IDEA, we're here to educate kids to age 21 and they may have academically completed enough to graduate, but we see a lot of our kids. And honestly, being a parent of, of two kids educated in public school, I wish they would have had something like this for them because a lot of our kids, you know, get to be that 18 and they're not ready for the world. So we offer a program that is, that brings in kids from again, all over the state. And we work on independent living skills. That's cooking, cleaning. They live in the cottages fairly independently. We don't have them involved with any of the high school activities. They are, for all intents and purposes, adult. And then we 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 work with them to find jobs in the community and, and get work skills. And in doing so, we have a generous grant from Chobani helped us convert one of our old school buses into a food truck. And we call it the Ravenous Raptor because we are the, that's our, our mascot is the Raptor at, at the School for the Deaf and Blind. And we, we have our kids, they're, they're doing money management. They're doing public relations. They are doing sales. They're cooking. They're cleaning. They're doing everything in the shopping for supplies. And so it really does develop solid work skills. We have been in action for exactly six months. We have the truck on blocks right now because it's wintertime and everything freezes, but we're ready to get back out there this spring. We have a very wide, it's, it's kind of the Henry to meal preparation. You can have anything you want to eat as long as it's a cheese sandwich and soup. <laughs> so, but we're going to be adding a few things to the menu. We're just getting started, but it is a great stepping stone for our kids really to gather that work experience. And we've had great feedback on it. And apparently yeah, you enjoyed your experience too. Yes. Yes. And I think you're right. There's many parents who wish they could just send you their oh to have some work study life skills, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is something that is a little bit, you know, tough to teach sometimes unless they have to these days, but exactly uh, right. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Brian, for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me today. And um, 
I'm really grateful for all the hard work you're doing for the state of Idaho and for these kids. And I know that IESCB has blessed my kids' lives. So I'm grateful for that too. So. Well, that's, that's very kind. And really it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a team effort. I, I this, this, the sign I have behind me, you can't read it. It says I'm their leader, which way did they go? I've got an amazing staff. We've got some dedicated people and, and honestly are in some tough situations working with parents and going parents going through various levels of, of the grief cycle. We get that. We understand that. We know how difficult it is to raise a kid these days. And, uh, and I can't give enough credit to, to the people we have working and the partnerships we have. And, and, and Gretchen, you've been a great partner going forward. So I sure appreciate that as well. Well, you do. I, Paula Mason is I don't know how that lady doesn't, how she sleeps actually, she gets so much done. So she is definitely very impressive. So, okay. Well, thank you so much again. And I, I hope it warms up and gooding today. (laughs) So, or at least the sunshine. We're hoping. We're hoping. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Brian. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gretchen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. I'm so appreciative for those who are willing to share their stories. And I hope as we share and listen to these stories that our hearts can be uplifted and we can find joy in this journey together. If you're a parent, a mom, a dad, or a professional who serves these children and would love to share their story, please check out the show notes for how to get in touch. Please like, subscribe, share this with your friends, and leave us a review. That way more people will find this podcast. Thanks for being part of this journey.